It's widely reported that invasive species cause more than $120 billion in economic damage in the U.S. each year. In Indiana, estimates vary, but it's reported that Hoosier landowners and land managers spend more than $8 million a year combating invasive plants alone. The state prohibited an extensive list of invasive aquatic plants in 2011. It's close to catching up where terrestrial invasives are concerned. The Natural Resources Commission preliminarily adopted a rule last July that prohibits the sale, distribution, and transport of 44 terrestrial invasive plants. The highly invasive Japanese honeysuckle made the list, along with three other varieties of honeysuckle. Japanese barberry, autumn olive, winter creeper, and Japanese stiltgrass also made the list, among others. Botanist Ellen Jaycart has been lecturing extensively to educate the public on invasive plants and to promote the state's terrestrial invasive plants rule. You can think of uh, invasive uh, species introductions on like an uh, exponential graph. You know, they, they come in and you hardly notice them, and they cover a very small area at first. And there's usually a lag time, and then they start to expand, and they cover more and more and more and more ground. And often by the time that the public is aware of it, or people notice that this species has come in and taken over an area, it's covering so many acres that the control costs involved are humongous, are huge. So we point to the beginning part of that graph and we say the best way to deal with invasive species is to simply keep them out whenever possible. And when it comes to invasive plants, the vast majority of our invasive plants come from horticulture, deliberate introductions. And what we need to do is prevent that introduction. And it'll save us so much money. It'll save us so many environmental impacts by not allowing these species to take over our natural areas. A public hearing scheduled for next Wednesday, December 19th, in Indianapolis will close out a four-month-long public comment period on the rule. Megan Abraham, the state's entomologist, says after a few more reviews, the rule could be formally adopted by next spring. Um, Comments from the public can be made on whether or not they're in favor or against the rule. Um, Then it has the public hearing, which is... December 19th, um, and then right after the public hearing, the comment period will close. And then uh, it has to be published as well as approved and signed off on by the governor's office. So those steps will basically take until April 2019 when the rule we expect will be given final adoption by the Natural Resources Commission. Botanist Alan Jaycart is the former chair of the Invasive Species Advisory Committee, a branch of the Indiana Invasive Species Council. She and the advisory committee provided the list of non-native plants that is found in the terrestrial invasive plants rule. I asked Jaycart just how much damage invasive terrestrial plants can do. When you go into a natural area that has become dominated by invasive species, and I can think of There are many, many thousands of acres of forest now in southern Indiana that have their understory completely dominated by calorie pear. That's Bradford pear that's escaped from plantings and invaded the forest. And when you walk through it, it's essentially a thorny thicket, and it displaces because all of that that dense understory is shading out all of the normal wildflowers and ferns and grasses and sedges and young trees that should be on the forest floor, they're gone because of the invasion. So then that ripples out 
to affect the pollinators because they have very little to pollinate. The only, the only flowers they're going to see are the calorie pear flowers, which are only out for a week or two in April. The rest of the year, there's nothing there for them to pollinate. You have very little wildlife food being produced because, again, the only fruits that are going to be produced are calorie pear fruits. Those are the favorite food of starlings, so that works out well for them for the period of time when those fruits are ripe. But for the rest of the year, there is no other species producing anything for um, the, the wildlife that's out there. So we just see a huge decrease in um, native plants, in pollinators, in wildlife, once an area has um, become dominated by invasive plants. The calorie pear is native to China and Vietnam and is a particular favorite of developers. Jaycart says more municipalities are recognizing the threat of the calorie pear and encouraging developers, landscapers, and landowners to choose alternatives. There's plenty of recommended alternatives to calorie pear, um, from flowering dogwood to uh, juneberry or, or serviceberry to uh, Ohio buckeye. There's lots of sort of small tree alternatives out there. And more and more people are turning to those, and municipalities are making it illegal to plant calorie pear because of the, the damage that it is causing by invading. The Norway maple is also invading forest understories, primarily in northern Indiana. The issue with Norway maple is that you know all trees are considered either shade-tolerant or shade-intolerant, and shade-tolerant trees are the ones that can grow in the understory. Um, and, and do well in shade. And sugar maple is one of those trees. So that gives it a competitive advantage, and it, it establishes then and um, will succeed into you know, a, a sugar maple forest because I'm getting into all the basics of silviculture here, but um, usually a forest starts with sun-adapted uh, sun trees because it was open when the forest got established. And then in the understory of that, you get your shade-tolerant trees like sugar maple, and over the course of a few hundred years, the forest turns into sugar maple. Well, Norway maple is even more shade tolerant than sugar maple. So if you get sugar maple moving into the understory of a forest, it actually outcompetes sugar maple. And what you end up with is an understory filled with nothing but Norway maple because it's the most shade, and to shade tolerant species, and then you get a Norway maple forest. And all of the benefits that we think of when we think of sugar maple, whether it's, you know, it produces maple syrup or the many uh, insects that are adapted to sugar maple leaves and, um, you know, then the birds coming and eating those insects when they're migrating through an area, none of that is true for Norway maple. It has a noxious, milky sap, uh, sort of a latex um, that, that does not, let it be, it, it's not the, it does not fill the same ecological role that sugar maple does. It, it doesn't have all the benefits that we see with sugar maple. Jaycard and the Invasive Species Advisory Committee included the calorie pear and the Norway maple in the invasive list they provided to the Department of Natural Resources. But the two highly invasive tree species didn't make it into the terrestrial invasive plants rule. We were disappointed that of the 46 highly invasive plant species that we assessed and recommended be made illegal, only 44 are going forward in the rule. Two were taken out, 
And so we are looking at ultimately, you know, fingers crossed once this rule is adopted, that we would work to amend it in the coming years to uh, put back in those species that are highly invasive. Abraham, who is a division director at the Department of Natural Resources, says the state simply wants to educate the public about the hazard of calorie pear and Norway maple before banning the two tree species. They're hoping the tactic will reduce any negative economic impact. The intention was always to try and include those eventually. Right now we're working on the public. It's not really widely known that calorie pear can become such a issue in the environment. Um, So we're working with industry uh, and the plant industry and raising awareness with the general public to try and reduce the demand for this plant. But Jay Cart thinks those who deal in plants are already aware of the hazards of invasives. You know, I've had these conversations with plant sellers who sell invasives, and I say, you know, that thing is invasive, and, you know, it's growing up and down the roadside, and how can you keep selling it? And they shrug, and they say, Listen, I know, but I've got a very narrow profit margin. If I'm not going to sell it, the guy down the road is, and he's going to make that money. And I can't afford to lose sales over popular plants, even if they are invasive. And what it, what it comes down to, and what I've heard some sellers say is, it would be different if it was an even playing field. And that's why we think this rule is so important. Make everybody play by the same rules so that nobody is selling these invasive species. The public hearing on the terrestrial invasive species rule will be held on Wednesday, December 19th at 10 a.m. at 402 West Washington Street in Indianapolis. You can still comment on the proposed rule online at the Indiana Natural Resources Commission website. You can find the link by searching for the rulemaking docket. For WFHB, I'm Sarah Vaughn.